Today on Stick to Football, breaking down the upcoming weekend of college football. A lot of news to go over and our top five of the week. It's a good one. The top five or 15 players who have accepted their senior bowl invites. Don't forget, guys, that you can come see us Saturday morning at 8.30 a.m. They actually adjusted the tailgate start time on me today. So 8.30, Stanford Cal. We will be out there. Um, easy to find. Look for the Tailgate Guys Village. We're tent number five. And then two weeks from them, December 7th, we will be at the SEC Championship game and Mello and Connor. We have nailed down our Senior Bowl nights, Monday and Tuesday night of Senior Bowl week. We will be back, the glorious return to Draft Picks Tap Room. There's no better name for a bar for Senior Bowl week than Draft Picks Tap Room. We'll be there doing our show two nights. They have treated us very well in the years past. What is it, two years we've been going there now? Or two years? More. Feels like more. Feels like home when you go there. But I'm very excited for those two nights in Mobile, Alabama. Draft picks has it all, man. I mean, we get treated like kings there. There's good beer. You can get food next door. You can hang out in the backyard, which has like a, a some kind of softball field. Wiffle ball field. Yeah, yeah, it's a wiffle ball field. Yeah, it's way too small to be a softball field. And uh, we're excited to be back there. So if you haven't been to the Senior Bowl, or even if you have, uh, you'll know where to find us. And it's it's always a good time. We always stay uh, stay after and party and and really just have a great time there at draft picks. As a group that over the last three months, we've taken many a boys trip. And I know we've said this before, and our buddy Jim Nagy said it before. There would be no better boys trip than going to Mobile. Like, if you're a group of friends and you want to go drink beer and watch football, that is the place to go. It's very, very inexpensive. You could stay in a hotel for like 100 bucks a night. And if you're we used to do this shit all the time. If you're young guys, like, you can put four dudes in a hotel room with a mini fridge and some beer and you're set. There are a lot of Airbnb options in Mobile, too. It is a great time. If you enjoy football and drinking beer, you want to go talk with people, uh, about football, it's a great spot to be it in. It is absolutely amazing. All right, let's get into some of the news here. Um, we each had a part in building the show rundown, so there are some things on here I actually don't know about, and vice versa for you guys. Urban Meyer done coaching, question mark. A lot of people think, and we've talked about this, Matt, we talked about it this weekend, with how good he is in the media he might just stay there. So I've been trying to get him to go to USC for a very long time now, and maybe even the Notre Dame job opens up, but there are a lot of people talking. Maybe Urban Meyer is actually cut out for this media thing. I mean, I think he's really good at it. It's just hard for me to sit here and fully buy in that Urban Meyer is done with coaching, and I'll say this until, I mean, forever, basically. I feel like there's always a certain opportunity or a certain amount of money or a combination of both that can entice a guy. Sometimes it takes people a couple of years, not just one to get that competitive edge back. But I will say if he stays in the media, I think he'll be comfortable there for a very long time. I do wonder if this goes both ways. Is he using the media? I don't even know if Urban Meyer needs to do this, but we've seen guys in the past use the media to get more money in coaching or the other way around to use a coaching offer to get more money in media. I wonder if now this is coming out like, oh, Urban might just stay in the media. That tells USC you better up your offer. Like you guys better bring it with. This isn't a guy who has to get back into coaching. We might need to see seven, eight million dollars a year to get him to Southern California. So I, w- I always wonder if there's an ulterior motive. But this is something you and I talked about. I think Sunday. He's really good on TV. It makes you wonder if he would stay there. He is 55 years old, though, and I know there's been some health issues. He said before, you know, I believe his father passed away very young. He doesn't want to repeat that cycle, but I think it's hard to take the coach out of these. We saw Mac Brown get back in. 
Right, right. Less it, miles. But I think with, <laughs> even with like guy like Mac Brown, I think that he would have jumped right back in. I don't know if anybody knocked on that door for a while until North Carolina did. Let me tell you, you don't realize what you have till it's gone. Oh, yeah, I know. I tried to tell you that. Oh, God, I'm feeling it now. <laughs> Speaking of, Alabama is without Tua Tungavailoa. Mac Jones has filled in admirably at times this year. He is going to be the starting quarterback the rest of the way. The Alabama schedule, a lot of people have commented on this. They haven't really played anyone all year long, except for LSU, and they lost. This weekend, they will play Auburn, which is a, excuse me, next, next weekend, weekend, they'll play Auburn. This weekend, they play uh, like Western Carolina or some school like that. So really, they play Auburn to end the year, then potentially uh, wait and see what happens with the SEC championship game. But those two games... Obviously, they can win this weekend. Can they beat Auburn with Mac Jones at quarterback? I think they can. I think that this team surrounding him is so good. And I think people forget Alabama was without a good quarterback for a very long time. Even the early Jalen Hurts days, I wouldn't say that he was a great or elite quarterback. I mean, A.J. McCarron was very good at Alabama, and they won a lot of ball games with that dude at quarterback. So I do think Alabama's still safe. This is one of the most talented offenses Nick Saban's ever had. I think Najee Harris is really starting to get things going. Everybody knows about the receivers. They have two tackles that might be first-round picks, uh, depending on where you're looking. I really think that this Alabama team is not out yet, and Nick Saban's going to have these guys ready to go. That's a no-dub because he's the greatest college coach of all time. I I like Alabama's chances still. Obviously, some things are going to happen with LSU or Georgia. But I, I wouldn't count them out just yet. I think they can definitely beat Auburn. Connor, how many times do you think Najee Harris carries the ball in that Auburn game? 40? Oh, I, I would say 30 carries and probably five or six targets, honestly. I could see that. I think they'll get the, the jet sweep and the uh, the pitch pass with rugs going. They'll throw screens to Judy and Devonta Smith. I mean, when you look at it, it'd be silly, like Melo just said, to write off this Alabama team, no matter who's back. And, like, let's not act, I don't like Mac Jones, but let's not act like Mac Jones is a, a walk on, like he was a right. four star recruit. It's, not, you know what I mean? Like, when you're yeah. the backup quarterback on Alabama or any program of that stature, you were probably a really, really good player just waiting your turn. Now, I think obviously going from him to going from Tua to him is a big drop off when they get into bigger games. But I do think at the same time, there's no reason why. You know, he can't carry the four. Here's the question I have for you guys if we're going to talk about the Auburn game. Do we think Mac Jones is a better option right now than Bo Nix? Oh, I do. I think me, Connor, I think you and I agree on this. I'm not sold on Bo Nix. It's Same. a great story. I hope it works out for him. He's a tremendous freshman. He's still a freshman. Oh, I would rather have though. Mac Jones in this game for sure. Just because of the experience factor, and I, I, I would rather have what he has around him. Now, if I could have Bo Nix with Alabama's, that talent, was the, kind of the question. Different. Yeah, I mean, shit, we've seen this before when they didn't have a quarterback. Just turn around and hand the ball to Najee Harris. They used to do this with Derrick Henry all the time. Yep, Mark and like Ingram. this week, Henry Ruggs is highly questionable with a rib injury. He better not see the field. Save him for next week when you can put him in the wherever you have to put him because Western. I think the WCU has to be West Carolina. Like, come on. Yeah. There's no way that they should. Alabama should win by 50. And you're at this point, you're just trying to get ready for Auburn. And I don't think Saban will let people dictate what he does. But I doubt we see those starters for too long. I think if you're questionable, you're probably not playing this Saturday. Uh, I think that Mac Jones and some of these guys who are second stringers can probably get the job done. Do we see baby Tua? Uh, Well, if he plays, he burns his red shirt. Has he played his four? He's played in four, uh, so if he mind. takes a snap, oh, okay. he burns his red shirt. Nope, we ain't seeing him then. I bet we do. You think? Yeah. 
He's so, Nick just doesn't care. He doesn't care. He doesn't, at all. He's about let's win right now. I'm. I don't think that. I obviously he has an eye for the future and what they're going to do. But I. I definitely think that we'll see the younger. Uh, what's his name? Talia. I don't know. Yeah. I think that we'll see Baby him two play. Is not a good nickname. Because you don't want to risk injury to Mac Jones, uh, and I think that we'll see him play for two three quarters, and then we'll probably see Talia in there. You trying to tell me you couldn't just? I know Ruggs is injured, so he's not going to play. You couldn't just put Ruggs at quarterback, run the Wildcat, and beat. Most teams in college football with their defense and with Najee Harris. I mean, this Saturday, yeah, you, you could, could beat, probably beat Auburn like you that. could beat the Western Carolina Catamounts. <laughs> Is that what they are? <laughs> yeah. Wow. I don't know. There goes we'll my locksmith of the week. Yeah, Thanks, right. shit. <laughs> All right, the Patriots um, have problems offensively, guys, and I do want to say I don't know how good of a source this is because I saw it on Twitter, but former Patriots tight end Christian Fourier, who is a member of the team's media now, he said that they are kicking the tires on Antonio Brown following the Marquis Pouncey events of the week. I don't know if that's the best adjective to use, kicking the tires. Get it? But it... I wonder about this because they have – this is the worst offense I've seen the Patriots have in a very long time. They can't run the ball. Tom is struggling throwing the ball. They're not getting Gronk back. He's announced a party in South Beach that hopefully we get invited to. The shirt Connor's wearing, I think we're going to be good. He was just a cheerleader for the Lakers game. I don't know if you guys saw that or not. I did. I don't think that he's coming out of retirement. Not this year. But they need something. They need a spark. It's after the trade deadline. What are you going to do? What else? What other options do you have? I don't. I feel like this is one of those things like you broke up with the girl for the reason. Don't go back to her. No matter how often she apologizes on Twitter. Like that's where they're at. He trashed Robert Kraft. He was like, you tell me that guy can go get a massage and not get in trouble. But I mean, so there's a lot of bridges burnt here, but winning football games ultimately matters more than almost everything else. Yeah, I just, no fucking way I'm bringing Antonio Brown into any team, especially a team contending for a Super Bowl. Uh, I would hate to see what he could do in that locker room and the distractions that he could cause. They they tried it once, early early in the season. I don't think it's going to work out. I wouldn't do it. There's no way if I'm the Patriots. Oh, that'd be absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. And I think the only team that could even contemplate this is maybe New England, but they already did it. That's the thing. It's not like this mm-hmm. is new. It seems crazy to me. Um, I mean, when you just look at New England, I think the question, if this has any truth to it, it kind of makes you think that maybe New England really does fear Baltimore right now. Honestly. They should. Look at how well that Baltimore defense is playing. Look at how well uh, Lamar Jackson specifically and that run scheme is playing where they know the New England defense has been great, but that offense has been pretty rusty. Obviously, the returns on Sanu for a second rounder haven't been what they fully expected. I mean, if it's true, then you have to they have you have to admit that they have concerns about their offense. I just don't know how much I'm buying into this right now. And hopefully getting Nikhil Harry off IR, that will help. But yeah, Mohamed sure. Sanu like, looked amazing the first week or two. Yeah, um, Julian Edelman. Yeah, I mean, you would hope that they can figure out with, like, but Sanu's with hurt what now. they have. That's the problem. A couple weeks. Yeah, it's, so it's, and with how much they throw to their running backs, they've been successful for 20 years without having a great receiver. Yeah, true. I don't know that that's going to change the the way the Patriots are going to run their offense. I think we're seeing their offense kind of fall back because they don't have that big target in the middle of the field in Gronkowski. 
I don't know that adding a guy like Antonio Brown is really going to help. That Chad Ochocinco tried that experiment; it didn't work. Right. Randy Moss was great, but so, I mean, there's so many great pieces on that offense with him that made him great. I don't think adding Antonio Brown is going to put you over the top, not over the Ravens, and they might already be anyway. So I'm not risking it if I'm them. Yeah, no, no biscuit. Nope. Not risking it. All right. Last thing of news before we get into the blind review, and it's a good one this week. I don't know if you guys saw this because it happened right before we sat down to record, but I am actually pissed off about this. Jordan Roderick, who is a reporter for The Atlantic, says that in 2015, a Heisman voter told Christian McCaffrey to his face at the award ceremony that the voter didn't watch any of McCaffrey's games. How the fuck are you going to be a Heisman voter and not watch Christian McCaffrey. I understand you're 90 years old and you can't stay up that late, but Jesus Christ, how are you going to have a ballot if you can't stay up late enough to watch Pac-12 football? It's not that hard to find games. Like You can see how well Christian McCaffrey played by watching just the highlight clips of it. So at least do that. But you also have an obligation to the voters, to the trophy, to the players. Have some respect for the trophy. Watch the right. That this means something. Get your old ass out of your recliner, take a lap and stay up and watch football. <laughs> I, I know that our buddy Paige Kuhn is going to be real fired up about this because she is like the biggest supporter of Christian McCaffrey should have won the Heisman. Sure. Well, I, I think it just shows a gigantic problem with all these voting systems, guys. Whether it's the, the Heisman's a big one. The Heisman has problems across the board. But this happens whether it's in baseball there's always some random vote uh, for the Cy Young or MVP, and it's like the mm-hmm. guy, it almost makes it about themselves. Baseball and Hall of Fame. Baseball yep. Hall of Fame's a big one, a big one. I think when you look at this McCaffrey story, though, it's just absolutely ridiculous, and, and it's laughable. If you're the Heisman Committee, at some point, this might sound self-serving, at some point you have to take a look and say, hey, who are we giving these votes to? And where are the biases lying year after year? Where are the problems lying year after year? And if it's because you can't wake up in the morning and turn on the condensed version of the game, that's absolutely rude. I mean, what do you think we do? We're traveling almost every weekend. Mondays, you get home, you go on, and you watch the condensed versions of every single game that you possibly can. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to do this fucking show. So if somebody's voting for the Heisman, something of that stature... It's absolutely ridiculous and makes a mockery of it. I don't think past players should vote either. There's like, it, Spire, are you telling like, Baker Mayfield watches right, enough right. college Him football? Him and Kyler Murray are sitting there watching college football no. to know what's going like, on. I get the like alumni feel of that, like the camaraderie. But shit, man, like have a barbecue. They don't need a ballot. Like Gino Toretta needs to vote on the Heisman Trophy. Why? So no, he can stand know. on stage and we can re- remember that he was relevant thirty fucking years ago. I, say, I don't know who that is. Like um, he was being honest. Miami. Like, just being honest. I mean, like, like it's so stupid. It really is. And this is not me upset because I don't have a ballot. Because I, the way this trophy is trending, a little bit. it's not even going to be relevant in five years because everyone's going to be tired of it being the best quarterback from the best team. I do think there needs to be like a shakeup. Uh, but even this year, like what running back has earned it? It's going to be Joe Burrow. We can put it at in ink. Unless Justin Fields does something amazing this weekend against Penn State. But other than that, those are two quarterbacks. Those are the guys that are going to be up for it. It's hard to do it. I think it's more to blame with the style of football that's being played right now. Not a lot of teams at the top of college football have an emphasis on the running back position. It's, it's not the go-to position anymore. 
Yeah, I, mean, now, I bet Jonathan see, Taylor, Travis Etienne, they're having pretty good years. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a receiver win the Heisman again before we see a running back. Absolutely crazy. Chase Young should still win it. He should. If he has a couple sacks against Penn State, I definitely think he will. Yeah, like what does All he right. have to do against Penn State to get back into this conversation? Four sacks? I don't even know if it's that many. I think like three sacks, maybe a forced fumble. If he scores okay. the he touchdown, at he's at all, thirteen and he's a back. half, which is absolutely ridiculous. By the way, I think he's one sack away from the Ohio State record, set by Connor's best friend Vernon Golston. Oh, oh, oh good times! What a year for Ohio Vern. State. I loved him. Oh God, I loved him. Okay, let's get into the blind review. Memories. It's a huge game Thursday night football. We are recording this three hours before kickoff. That's why it's called a blind review. Colts at Texans, Mello, tell us what happened. We've seen this matchup once before. We watched them in Indianapolis, and the Texans got their asses kicked. We watched them last week against Baltimore. The Texans got their asses kicked. And guess what happened last night? The Texans bounced back. They beat the Colts. Deshaun Watson looking like the Heisman contender that he is. Heisman contender. MVP. He was also a Heisman contender. Heisman and MVP. Deshaun Watson looked great. The running game gets it going. Uh, Texans look like the team that beat the Chiefs. Yeah, Texans look great. And this is the bounce back of Deshaun Watson. I think this is why he's still an MVP candidate, in my opinion. We saw him take over this game last night. The Texans really have no run game to speak of. That Colts front seven played very, very well. This is a hard-fought game, but it comes down to Deshaun Watson. This is what we saw him do in college. It's what we've seen him do in his young NFL career. For my money... There's one quarterback in the NFL better than Deshaun Watson right now, and his name is Patrick Mahomes. I mean, I'm with you all the way. Just what he does and how he elevates his team, it's exceptional. And I think when you look at DeAndre Hopkins, it's been a quiet year in the end zone for him. The catch numbers have been high. The yard numbers have been high. But coming into this game, he only had four touchdowns, so it was great to see him have two. And once again, the Texans, what's fun about them, yes, they have their low points, but they could beat anyone on any given day because of the guy they have under center. He truly is special. All right, let's take a break. We come back. We're going to get into the college football weekend with picks and previews. The big game to kick off the weekend, number eight, Penn State at number two, Ohio State. The return of Chase Young. He is going to be pissed. Ohio <laughs> State looking for a statement win to maybe get to the top of the CFP rankings. I think Ohio State wins this one, and I particularly think it is a blowout. I think Justin Fields is too nasty for this offense. I like what Penn State does. I think K.J. Hamler is going to be a fun matchup for Jeff Okuda. I think Micah Parsons is probably good enough in the middle to frustrate some of what they want to do with Justin Fields and J.K. Dobbins and as runners with run-pass option-type elements. But Ohio State is just too talented, and I actually do think that Chase Young coming back is going to have a gigantic chip on his shoulder Penn State's offensive line, not good enough to stop this man. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I hate when that happens, but Me Chase too. Young is just going to be too much for this Penn State offensive line. I, I really think that they're going to struggle to score points like they have this season. Uh, he, he's going to be in Clifford's grill a couple times. I'm going to predict three sacks for him. I really think he's going to come back pissed off at the world. He's going to dominate. Oh, by the way, their offense scores 50 points a game. I think Ohio State is okay. I think this is the best team in the country. I know that LSU's played great. They deserve to be number one in the ranking. Ohio State has been exceptional all year, though. Every, you know, all three phases of the game. I think Justin Fields is going to have his Heisman moment. Uh, he needs to because he's going to pass Joe Burrow, who we talked about earlier. He's going to need a big game uh, right here Saturday against Penn State. Yeah, I'm with you there. It's hard to pick against Ohio State in this game, especially 
I, I too, think they really are. They're the most talented team in the country. Like you said, they might not have the resume from this year to get that number one ranking just yet. But in terms of talent, it's going to be hard to pick against them the rest of the way right now. And I think this is an exciting game, especially for draft purposes. You might see two of the best pass rushers in this draft class on yep. each side with Chase Young and then Yitor Gross-Matos for Penn State. And he's a guy that Penn State fans I know have been – Critical at times of being hot and cold. And honestly, that's the life of most pass rushers. Not everybody is Chase Young and has three sacks a game. But for Gross Matos, for Penn State to have a shot in this one, they need him to be hot. They need a two, two and a half, a force fumble kind of sack pass rush performance from Gross Matos. But I still got to go with the Buckeyes. Texas A&M at number four, Georgia. Georgia really just trying to get to the SEC championship game without any uh, further losses on the schedule here. And I think A&M is this a dangerous team. You always have to worry about quarterbacks like Kellen Mond. If, if he gets hot, things could get messy. I think Georgia is just so locked in. They're so focused. It's such a consistent football team. They might not wow you. They might not blow anyone away. But I like I just feel like Georgia's a good team. I think this is a game where we see DeAndre Swift have a big moment, 150 plus total yards. Because if AM has a weakness, it's in that front seven. Yeah, Georgia's gonna take care of the ball, limit the turnovers, run the ball a lot. And this defense has played very well. Uh their last couple games, I mean Auburn only allowed 14 points to a pretty damn good offense. Missouri shut them out, zero points. Florida held them to 17 points. This defense is not talked about enough. I, I know that they don't have the stars like a Chase Young, but they got a lot of really good players there. I love both of their safeties. They got a linebacker that's very good. This is a good defensive team. Jake Fromm, if he can take care of the ball, maybe we can even get him back into this draft talk for this year. I'm going with the Bulldogs too, and I don't think it's close. I think Georgia right now is a team in the country that nobody wants to run into. They're playing exceptional defense. They could stop the run. They have really, really good secondary. And that offensive line is clicking. We saw a really good run blocking performance from Andrew Thomas. DeAndre Swift, you know you could trust him in the backfield to handle the rock 15, 20, 25 times a game if you need. And Fromm knows how to control the clock, take shots when they're there, and not take the shots, unnecessary shots to turn the ball over. So I think if you look at Georgia, the experience factor and how they win football games right now. They are really, truly a threat right now for the college football playoff. There's no doubt about that, and Georgia will beat Texas A&M at home this weekend. Texas at Baylor. Texas has to win this game. Uh, at 6-4, and four, they, they're out of everything already, but they have to win this game. Baylor's favored by 5.5 points, which surprises me a little bit. Charlie Brewer's been playing his ass off this year. Baylor's quarterback, and I'm maybe crazy, and I'm definitely a homer, but I'm taking the Texas Longhorns. I feel like Tom Herman will have this team backed against the wall. This reminds me a little bit of that Oklahoma State win where a lot of people were doubting Texas, and they pulled it off. It'll be a high-scoring game. It's probably going to be an ugly game, but I think the Longhorns win this one. And I'm going to disagree with you completely there. I think that Baylor is a young team. Uh, I was a big sleeper on them. I did not think that they would have a successful season. Watching them play against Oklahoma, I think this is a team that needs to learn how to close out. They came out hot, uh, obviously went up 28-3. to You hate to see it. I think they learned this week how to close out a good team that well. A team. I don't know if I'd call them good, but I think that they can close out the Longhorns. I think they keep this one close. Sam Ellinger can keep these guys in their high-scoring game, but I think Baylor finds a way to win it. 
Yeah, this one's pretty simple for me. Matt Rule is a much better coach than Tom Herman right now. It's what it comes down to. I'm sorry, fellas. Matt Rule is a much better coach, and I think this Baylor team is playing with significantly more confidence this season. That hurt because it was true. I don't know what Texas team we're going to get week to week. You can get the Texas team that took LSU down to the wire, that number one LSU team in the country. That Texas team is a top 10, top eight team in the country. You could also get the Texas team that could lose on any given Saturday, and I just can't trust them right now. I'm going with Baylor. Yeah, I don't want to make this a Texas podcast, but it is like it feels like a team that has when they lose their confidence, they are done. And that's that's not just a Tom Herman thing. That was a Charlie Strong thing. It's like, uh, as soon as they lose, fucking season's over. They've been playing like shit the last four weeks. Too. That's what the I'm last saying. four games. Get back on track. Lost to Iowa State. Probably should have won that one. Barely beat K State. That one shouldn't have been close. TCU. That one wasn't close. They lost by ten, and then they barely beat yeah. KU. I, I mean, five weeks ago, that was the OU game. This team has they not been OU playing well, well, though. Like, that's what they always play up. Like, right? they beat a ranked K-State team. Yeah. So, I will see. Not a Texas podcast. 13 Michigan at Indiana. This is Michigan all the way. I mean, even if as inconsistent as they have been this year, they are too talented. And I'll tell you, Indiana, uh, better than I have given them credit for at times this year, I don't think they can score enough to stop Michigan. And I do think that they play this one close. I think this is a typical, I'm going to overlook Indiana. I'm looking forward to what we're doing the rest of the season because Michigan has been playing very well uh, since the Notre Dame game. I know that that was an ugly game, but I really think they have things going. Uh, A great win over Michigan State, your rival. I think that they're going to overlook Indiana here. I think this game is close, but I am going to take the Wolverines. This is a scary game for Michigan right now. This Indiana team with seven wins, which I think shocks anyone, and they could easily, they could get two more here. They really could be a nine win team or at least an eight win team when they get Purdue at the end of the season. I mean, Indiana's taking Penn State down to the wire. They beat the shit out of Northwestern. It seems like the only week they just didn't show up was against Ohio State, and there's no shame in that. So it happens. It happens. It really does. Michigan's traveling to them. I'm going to go with Michigan, but to sit here and say I love them this week would be a flat-out lie. I think this comes down to the wire. Yeah, I do too. And I think that yep. even that Ohio State game, maybe they did show up and just got their asses kicked. Yeah, that's true. Like maybe Ohio State showed <laughs> right. up too. No, I think Indiana is secret. They should be in the top 25. I'm really surprised that they're not actually. So uh, I, I do. I agree with you boys. I think it will be a close one. The game, and this is the one we will be at, Cal at Stanford. And here's my simple tailgate tour rule. I am always – Going to pick the home team. So I'm picking Stanford. I will be wearing a Stanford t-shirt. I like It's just more fun when you ride with the home team. I wanted LSU to win. Like As soon as the game started, right before the game started, I was like, go Tigers. I was all in on Joe Burrow, but I was wearing an Alabama vest. I was trying to fit in because when you tailgate on a campus, you don't want to be that guy that's like, yep, rooting for the other team. Like, fuck yeah, I'm going for Cal. No, you can't do it. I have no dog in this fight. I think both teams are exceptionally average this year, but I'm going to pick Stanford. I'm going to pick Stanford, too. I just think they have a little bit more talent on that roster. Uh, obviously, a down year. They're sitting there at four and six. I think that they still have enough on that roster, even though they're banged up. David Shaw is still a great coach at Stanford. I really hope that Adebo goes off. I want to see what he's like. I want to see how big he is in person. I want yeah. to see if he's a true six one, if he's anywhere near 190 pounds. I'm looking for it. I'll roll with the Cardinal. 
Yeah, Cal is skidding out of control right now. I mean, if you look at the loss to Oregon State. They got absolutely manhandled by a great Utah team, and they got blown out by USC. So it's not been pretty for them the last three or four. But I think Cal goes into Stanford and wins. I, I really do, and I'm excited to be there. I think it's going to be a different environment. It looks like the weather's going to be beautiful. There are a lot of pro players on the field. The Cal defense has a handful, yep. as you said, a Debo for Stanford. I think it's going to be a fun game. I think it's going to be a close game, and I think Cal comes away with a big road win. And we got one more for you. The super underdog locksmith game of the week to bet your money on because I don't have the nuts to bet my money on. Matt, I'm going with SMU. Over Navy. SMU, the ranked team, (laughs) somehow is the underdog here. Three and a half points. I think SMU and my guy, Shane Bouchelle, wish he wouldn't have left Texas, can put up points on this Navy team. Go Navy. I'm I'm happy to root for you on most days, but if I'm putting money on this thing, I'm going with the Mustangs. Fuck Navy. Go Army. The 2020 Reese's Senior Bowl is getting closer. Two months from right now, we will be at Draft Picks Taproom hosting a live Senior Bowl show, guys, like we do every year. It's going to be a great one. Uh, Mello and I are actually staying the entire week. I think, Connor, you're you're still trying to decide how long you're going to be there, but we will be there. Yeah, I'm up in the air. i got to figure out my life because we're going to be in Miami for a very long exactly. time we'll directly be, after. So we'll 16 see. days on the road for moi, but that's uh, what I'm here for. Yeah, have fun with so, that. So Mello and I will be there through the game. So if you're going to to the game. Mello and I will be there. There's going to be a, a street party and a concert Friday night. You know we're going to be there for that. So we're excited about it, and we wanted to kick off draft season a little bit, looking at our favorite players who've been accepted as Senior Bowl invitees so far, guys. I'll kick it off my top five. Kyle Duggar, a linebacker slash safety from Lenore Ryan. Connor, we've talked about him a lot on the midweek show lately. Yep. Javon Kinlaw, I think he's a top 10 type player at defensive lineman from South Carolina. Zach Moss, a physical, mean running back from Utah. Love him. The guy I want to highlight, though, is Brandon Ayuk, a wide receiver from Arizona State. We have heard so much about this player in the last month. He is exceptional after the catch. A bit of a game breaker. When you think of Arizona State, you might think, I'm to kill Harry, like a move-the-chains type receiver. That's not Ayuk. I think he's an exceptional athlete. And this stage is perfect for him to show off his speed, his ability to track deep balls and what he can do after the catch. My fifth guy, another rangy player, but this one a safety, Ashton Davis from Cal. Ashton Davis could have a year like Darnell Savage did last year and get himself in the first round. This class at safety is not great, and we know how big of a need that is for teams. I think his speed, his range over the top could really excite teams. Yeah, and I'll rip through my five here. Starting with number one, the guy I'm most excited about for the Senior Bowl is Michael Pittman Jr., the huge receiver out of USC. I absolutely love his size and what he can do. I want him to go and match up against some of these great corners that are going to be at the Senior Bowl and see what he can do because he's dominating right now in an air raid offense. I want to see what's he going to look like in a pro-style offense with good quarterback play, not just a freshman there throwing him the ball. I think this is a good opportunity for him to work himself into that first round, maybe early second round talk. Next guy, the whole Utah team is going to be there. I, you already mentioned yep. Zach Moss. I'm going to go with Lakai Fotu. Their nose tackle, D-tackle, incredibly athletic. Reminds me of a Danny Shelton type guy. I don't think we'll see him get drafted that high, but we've seen a million defensive linemen come through the Senior Bowl and do nothing but improve their stock because they go and they kick the shit out of all the offensive linemen. It's, it's a great place. I, I was thinking Puna Ford here. I'm not going to go that high on him yet. I think he gets drafted at least, but I do think that he can have a great week there. Uh, the small school receiver that a lot of people are talking about, Antonio Gandy-Golden out of Liberty, 
I want to see what he can do at this level. Uh, he's getting the Senior Bowl invite over you know a guy like Tyler Johnson from Minnesota that a lot of people like. I want to see what do they see in him. Uh, is he a good route runner? I know he's got a lot of size too, but I want to see what he can do against a good level of competition. Next guy, receivers. I just love the one-on-one drill. So there's a theme here with my list. Chase Claypool, I really liked Miles Boykin last year. I want to see what he can do at receiver as well. Just matching up with the corners. It's almost the same thing for all three of these receivers. And then I want to look at these two guards. Not the sexiest position, but becoming very important. And we're even seeing guys like Quentin Nelson getting drafted high. Shane Lemieux out of Oregon and Logan Stenberg out of Kentucky. I think one of these guys could walk away uh, really improving their stock as an interior lineman and maybe even walking away as the number one guard. Yeah, especially Lemieux, who plays on such a good unit. You always go back and watch those units and and what's making it work, and and everybody's going to have their eye on him. So I'm starting number one here. Somebody we talk about on the midweek show and a lot of mock drafts, that's Jeff Gladney from TCU. I think when you look at Gladney's coverability, his length, he's a little light, a little lanky, but he's feisty, he's tough, he's a really, really good cover corner that's probably going to be a top 50 pick when all is said and done. Number two, somebody I really want to highlight because we've liked him for a long time is Keisha. Sean Vaughn out of Vandy. I think when you look at Vaughn, he could have declared last year, could have been a day two pick at running back because he has home run hitting speed. We really haven't had skill players at the running back position at the senior bowl like Vaughn, it feels like in quite some time, where he's just going to look like he's moving at a different pace than everyone else on on that practice field. He's a good pass catcher. I know he's had a down year statistically, and I think it's a really good move for him to go to the Senior Bowl. Uh, Last year, his stock was hot. He was averaging almost 8 yards a carry, 12 touchdowns, over 1,200 rushing yards. This year, he's down to really 5 yards a carry, and and he just hasn't been in the same. The offense just doesn't look the same right now, but he's somebody that you could project at an NFL level to be a really, really impactful player, both as a runner and a pass catcher. Daryl Taylor, we always talk about, listen, when it rains, it pours for Daryl Taylor in terms of sacks. He'll have four one game. He'll have none the next three. What Daryl Taylor is going to show up to Mobile, and we're going to find out in those one-on-ones. It's easy to figure out a player during those, so a lot of eyes are going to be on Taylor. Another pass rusher, somebody with a very interesting career. I feel like we talked about him in the last two drafts. That's Trevon Hill. He got dismissed from Virginia Tech. He goes to Miami. He really hasn't lit the world on fire for the Canes, but he's been solid. He's always had really good traits, Matt. I know you've always said that about Hill, is he has pass rush traits to be a first round, second round, third round pick. People need to dig into the character. They need to dig into why the production has not been great this year. It's just been okay. The Senior Bowl is a great spot for him to do that and for teams to do that. Number five, maybe the most underrated wide receiver in the country, that's Brian Edwards. Big body, high points the ball will beat you up after the catch I love what I've seen from Brian Edwards this year I really didn't even expect him to go back to school after last year now we make out like bandits because we get to see him in the senior bowl because he did go back for his final year a lot of fun it's going to be great like I said get down there we stay we get in Monday Usually we stay till Thursday night. That's when most NFL teams leave. But we're staying this year for the, the parade, the street parties. The game's going to be great. So whether you can make it down for a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or you want to come throughout the week and come hang out with us at the uh, live tapings that we're doing, Draft Picks Tap Room on Dolphin Street, Monday and Tuesday night. Boys, let's take a break and do what we will be doing a lot of at Draft Picks, answering draft on draft questions. 
It is draft on draft time. And if you are a new listener to the show, this is an important part of our Stick to Football podcast because in about a month's time, we'll be handing out these sticky awards to our best listeners. One great way to make an impression, do what Pat Chamberlain does. Send in 45 questions a week. Pat leads the draft on draft segment off with this one. If Georgia somehow defeats LSU for the SEC championship, what is your prediction as to how the top four playoff rankings will shake out? Connor actually predicted that Georgia would beat Alabama in the SEC championship before the season started, so I know he's hoping for this. If Georgia beats LSU... I don't think anything changes. I really, LSU still makes it as a one-loss yep. team that, and no one wants no one wants two SEC teams in. I understand that, but they would be in. It would be Ohio State, Georgia, LSU, and then Clemson. Clemson, yeah, exactly. It's That's actually it be. very easy if this happens. It might this be, is the easiest scenario. Isn't it more difficult if Georgia loses? Because then it's Oregon. Or Alabama, basically. Yeah, well, it's Oregon, Utah, or Alabama. I, I do think that if Georgia wins, we keep it the same four. We, maybe we just flip the order. I think Ohio State goes to one, Clemson, Clemson goes to two, Georgia goes to three, LSU goes to four. But, I mean, if LSU wins, which they probably will, it's going to be interesting to see what the committee does with a Pac-12 champion with one loss, Oregon or Utah, hopefully. Or Alabama, uh, because they've let Alabama in before as a four seed, even though they didn't win the SEC championship. So it will be interesting to see. Uh, I'm, I guess, rooting for chaos. I want to see LSU win this thing. What about Oklahoma? I know you guys don't want to talk about it. No, if you go on talent, they should be in. If I really do think they should be in. I was, I was telling someone that yesterday that I, I feel like the committee has a tough job because. They have to factor into his injury. They have to. Yeah. And so I think if we have a one-loss Big 12 champion, Oklahoma, they should be in. I, I do, too. Uh, I like this Oklahoma team. I like Jalen Hurts a lot. Uh, they slipped up against K-State, who was a ranked opponent. So they have one bad loss. Uh, coming back and beating Baylor, they got almost zero credit for beating a very good uh, unbeaten team. I don't know why that is, but I do think Oklahoma – it's probably better than the two teams out of the Pac-12, but they're probably not going to be able to get it. I mean, in. I think you ask yourself this. If Oregon played Utah, who would you pick to win? I would pick Utah. Same. Okay. And if Oklahoma was going to play either of those teams, who would you pick to win? I would pick Oklahoma. Exactly. Yep. So, like, that's that's what it comes down to to me. It's like, let's not overthink this. Let's just say head-to-head, who do you want to see play? Alabama without Tua or Oklahoma? Oklahoma. This is easy. Right. Which is like the perfect revenge for Jalen Hurts if Oklahoma makes the playoff and Alabama doesn't. Oh man, right? This is like, like that's the story we need. Yeah. You know what but really? If, what you know what fucks everything up? And I like hope it happens because I like chaos. But at the same time, I hope it doesn't because I want to see them in the playoff. Is if Penn State beats Ohio State? No, oh. no, I don't want that at all. <laughs> Well, I or which Air Force Wisconsin does in the Big Ten. I would yeah. see Alabama and Oklahoma miss out, so they have to face each other in a bowl game. Just so or we that. can oh, see Jalen Hurts against Nick Saban. I'd be okay with that. Well, then you're really hoping that, I don't know. I don't know what you're hoping for. Oregon or Utah, I guess, at that point. Fun. Yeah. Man, they, here's the thing. like If LSU played Oregon, like no one fucking cares about that game. They're going to kill them. Yeah, probably. This is one of those things I say, and then it happens, and 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 Oregon wins, and mm -hmm. I get cold ticked. I hate to say it, but Oregon or Utah feels like, if they make it, is like the Notre Dame of the playoff. Where you're like, like, God damn it. (laughs) Just don't hurt anyone on the good team you're playing, please. I don't think the committee is looking forward to putting either one of those fan bases into 
the playoff. You know, last year we were like, it should be expanded. This year it's like, I may be contracted. Like, we just need two teams. Yeah. Just let – I mean, there are three that are that are up there. I do think that Clemson and the way that they're playing, they're going to be dangerous uh, as long as they don't slip up in, like, the ACC championship game. They're going to be dangerous in the playoff. Yeah, can't see that one happening. Uh, all right, and the Oreo guy we're going to see Saturday morning, or I think. I don't know, actually. Better. Better. In that area. What are some of the best ever transitions from college to pro football? Quentin Nelson immediately comes to mind as a guy that 100% lived up to expectations as a prospect. Quentin Nelson's a good one. Nick Bosa is a really, really good one this yeah. year, not just being a yep. homer to my team. Josh Allen has been a really, really good one this hey. year for Jacksonville Jaguars. Oh, okay. No, not Buffalo. In <laughs> Jacksonville. Right. I wasn't Jackson. sure where you were going with that one. Oh, weird. No, I think those two defenders this year have been really good. Um, I mean, I feel like there's a lot over here. Saquon Barkley was like Saquon was touted as this elite generational prospect, and he had over 2,000 yeah. all-purpose yards as a rookie. It sucks that he's been so banged up this year. Like When I think of rookie production, I always go back to Anquan Bolden. Uh, he came in and just lit up the league after playing some receiver and quarterback at Florida State, and then people saying, oh, man, he's too slow, he can't play in the NFL, and then boom. He had like 100 catches as a rookie. Uh, so I think that he's one of the best transitions that we've ever seen from college to pro. Yeah, I mean, you could you could sit here and go through so many. I think we've seen more of a rookie impact over this last decade than we used to, where yeah. co- coaches aren't afraid anymore. Uh, I mean, even if oh, there used to be a time where like quarterbacks would be making all of this money as top 10 picks and they would have no chance to see the field right away. So I, I think it's definitely changed over the years. I mean, even like look at Michael Thomas. Uh, he had a Let's. for a guy that wasn't a first round pick. He had a pr- pretty significant impact from the get go. Yeah. yeah. So I know that one makes Matt smile. But very, very happy yeah. about that. I mean, so did Jalen Ramsey, Joey Bosa, like those uh, Zeke from that one draft class. They've had a couple guys. All right, uh, Dan Kiefer. This is like the Stick to Football Hall of Fame section of uh, draft on draft. That's right. Who is more important to a team's overall success, the quarterback or the head coach? Ooh, can I answer, please? It's the head coach. Sure. And I know that might seem controversial, but Jared Goff looked like a bust under Jeff Fisher and went to a fucking Super Bowl with Sean McVay. I know he's not playing great right now. They still almost won a Super Bowl. Well, I still think that goes to show how important the head coach is because uh, the head coach has not been that successful. I don't think it's anything that's changed with Jared Goff over the last year. Uh, the system has just not been as successful. So I do think it is the head coach not to take anything away from some of the great quarterbacks that we've seen. But you know, even Baker Mayfield, look at how well he played as a rookie. Yep. Now he's really struggling, struggling this year with Freddie Kitchen as the head coach. I mean, if you need any evidence, look at the year that Bill Belichick has had, like, Matt Castle. And and I know people don't like to use the Patriots because everyone's reaction is, oh, they're an outlier. But, I mean, a lot of teams survive with backup quarterbacks. The Chiefs won with Matt Moore. Exactly. The Chiefs won with Matt Moore. The Jets could not move the ball three yards with Luke Falk. And Matt Castle. So, one coach, Andy Reid, really good. One coach, Adam Gase, really bad. I'll say this about my, my boy Teddy Bridgewater. I don't think, like, if the Bears sign him, you're not getting the Teddy Bridgewater you saw this year unless you bring Sean Payton with him. I would him agree with that. And yep. that really good offensive line he has. Yep. And I love old Teddy Two Gloves, but let's be honest, head coach matters a lot. I more. still don't think that fit makes any sense for either it side. It makes no sense at all. You know what makes a lot of sense? Miami. That's where he's from. He needs to be in a warm climate. Yeah, or thank New God Orleans. he said no to that this year, though. He, he should got just killed. stay in New Orleans. 
Yes. Yeah. That's I, I definitely think that's the move for Teddy Bridgewater. All right. Garrett Greenlee wants to know, do you think Jonathan Taylor's draft stock could fall a little bit due to having over 300 touches every year in college? Yes. Yeah, I do too. I Not much. I, I think that you've seen a lot of guys be very productive at the next level. Look at Le'Veon Bell. He took a shitload of carries. I think he had 400 carries in one year at Michigan State. Zeke Elliott has taken a lot of carries. So Derek I think it, it does affect him, but not that much. I still think that if he's a first-round running back, they're not going to look at his carry numbers and say, oh my God, we can't draft him in the first round. I think what's going to affect him more than anything is the depth that's showing up at running back in this class. Uh, you already have guys like Swift and ETN and yep. now Dobbins and, and Najee Harris. There are a lot of running backs. I think that's going to move them further down the board than his carries will. We did mock draft Monday. We didn't have one running back on the first round. But it, and that's not like a huge, it's not a knock on Swift or Taylor or anyone. It's just, it's hard to fit a running back in if you're not right. Saquon Barkley. Like and if you're you can, not an elite talent. You can find them in the second round. It happens all the time. You can find a Philip Lindsay who goes undrafted. Najee Harris in the second round, the Jonathan Taylor in the first. I was just going to ask you guys yeah. that. Would you? There's a part of me that almost feels like Najee is starting to become more valuable of a player. Because well, I think he's, he's showing such good hands yep. this year. That's what I yeah. mean. Like, and less wear and tear. Yeah. Or if I could, I, I know this might be an outside possibility. If I could have Travis Etienne in the third or Jonathan Taylor in the first, it just depends on what you need. Obviously, this is very scheme dependent, but I, I like Jonathan Taylor a lot. I really do. I think he's done a great job this year of. Uh, developing as a pass catcher, cut down on the fumbles again. Like that's all really really important, but I he's just not special enough that I feel like I have to have him in the first round. He looks yeah, like I Nick Chubb. And Nick Chubb went in the second round and has right. one of the, is one of the best backs in the league this year. That's fine. Yeah. He's doing pretty good. Yeah, he's good. But yeah, it's just a, being aware of it. I actually I wrote about this. It'll come out Friday morning in the scouting notebook. I don't think this is a good draft class in terms of top-tier talent. This is like a there are 10 pretty there's one great player, one really good player, and then a couple like, yeah, those are good players. I might have like a record low first round grades in this class. Yeah. I mean, I don't usually assign grades, but I I think this is a very top heavy draft, except for like receiver. There's That's a lot it. of depth yep. there. Running back, there's a lot of depth there too. But like offensive linemen, I'm not sold on. There are like no tight ends in this class. And even a quarterback class that we thought was going to be real deep. A lot of those guys just haven't played up to the hype, and I don't know how many of them can live in the first round. Or have gotten hurt. All right, last yep. question from Joplin's own Tucker Hagedorn. Is Miami going to get to a, a little bit later than they thought now, maybe with that Steelers pick? The Steelers pick right now would be pick 16 overall. I think what is very interesting about this, and it's it's all just speculation right now, they have pick number 23 from the Houston Texans and pick 16 from the Pittsburgh Steelers. They could package. It's just all this is where Miami has to know what everyone else in the NFL wants to do because you have to worry about the Chargers at 11. Like you have to worry about some teams. You know, Tennessee is floating right around there. There's going to be the same range as you with that Steelers pick depending on, you know, the next six or seven weeks. So I think you have to be aware of the board. It might be a situation where you can package to move up and get a guy like Tua, but again, all this hinges on what that hip looks like, if there's blood flow to the the femoral head, what the tissue looks like, what any type of arthritis looks like. We don't know right now, but I think if you're the Dolphins, you're at least exploring some of those possibilities of, okay, if this guy is, we're not going to draft him at four because the injury and we don't like Justin Herbert, where do we like Tua? And that's a conversation that you're unfortunately probably not able to have until the middle of April. Yeah, and there are a lot of other teams that are going to be having that conversation too that draft 
uh, before them at, what was it, 16 overall? You know, yeah, like Tampa, is, they're playing terribly. They're at six now. We've seen their draft stock just crash. Yeah, I mean, I'm cheating off your board here. Tampa, Denver, I wouldn't be surprised if either one of them went with a quarterback. The Chargers, right now, they would be ahead of them. And a lot of other teams that maybe would want to move up uh, and say, okay, we'll sit Tua for a year. We don't don't need him just yet. We'll bring in a veteran to hold over. Uh, But they're going to be looking to move. He's still going to be a very... Uh, high-end top prospect, I think he still goes top 10. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I do. I really do. And I know it's hard to sit here and say that with the, the uh, un, you know, unclarity of the medical situation, but I think there's a lot of situations for him where teams would be like, hey, we don't need to run this guy into the field next year. We're okay taking the talent in the top 10. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we saw that Jeffrey Simmons was a top 20 at pick this year. Tackle. At defensive tackle. Not yeah. quarterback. Exactly. So I, I do think he still goes very, very early. I said before I don't want him to go to the Chargers because they hurt everyone they draft, but that makes so much sense. It would. It would be a good fit with or him in those Titans, powder blue. I want him to be in the, like the Titans be a great fit if they just want to keep Tannehill for a year. Yeah, and then draft Tua. That'd be great. Right. Be great. Yep. All right. So much of it is where would he look good in a uniform? The <laughs> right? Dolphins are the that's, best answer. That's so important. It is to the success of a quarterback. Look good. Play good. Look good, feel good, play good. All right, that is our show. We'll be coming at you Monday morning live from our tailgate at Stanford. Our special guest, Paige Kuhn, who is the college football editor at Bleacher Report. We're going to talk to her about her career path, her college football hot takes, and why she thinks that she is the president of the Joe Burrow fan club when it's obvious I am. So maybe some punches are going to get thrown. For Mello and Connor, we will talk to you all Monday morning. 